0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to this, the 132nd episode of Apple Insider's Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is Neil Hughes.
0: Victor, how are you?
1: I'm brilliant. Microsoft. Microsoft. Microsoft, that company of companies, that that leader among leaders, has an accessory for the Apple iPad.
0: Did you want to start off with this story? I mean, we
1: have a lot of other stuff to go. Well, this is Microsoft Insider. Yeah, right. Let's just lead with this one quickly. Okay, go ahead. We're always interested in things that stem from leaked information or otherwise surprising. And Microsoft making an accessory for an Apple product is particularly surprising because it wasn't so many years ago that you would be shunned for carrying an Apple device on the Microsoft campus. Now, those days have, have changed. Those days are gone, especially with the... Uh, what what happened to Microsoft Zune and when? What happened to the Windows Phone products, for example? But it's still a little surprising that the Microsoft website shows a touch cover keyboard suitable for Apple's iPad. Now, the touch cover is is an accessory that's commonly been sold with the Microsoft Surface ever since the Surface began, even with the Surface RT. It's it's hard to know if this is something that's forthcoming or if it was a scrapped project. Um, but it's mentioned on a page listing products that have integrated lithium batteries included. The inclusion of the battery inside a mar- Microsoft touch cover for iPad would suggest that the keyboard accessory is Bluetooth and is, of course, battery powered because it doesn't sync over the smart connector port. You know, the, the touch cover is is sort of a three millimeter thick keyboard usually. Uh, and it it frequently is either a keyboard or a keyboard with a mouse. And I think the only time I've seen it is the touch cover has a mouse integrated and a trackpad integrated into it. Right. So that's also interesting because there is no trackpad for an iPad. Right. Kind of a weird thing. So this is interesting. I, I like it.
0: I don't know that this will ever see the light of day. you got to understand that the way Microsoft develops products is very different from Apple. Uh, Microsoft is a huge corporation that uh, operates kind of in these uh, weird silos and things will get very close to coming to market and then get scrapped at the last minute, um, as evidenced a couple of years ago when uh, there was leaked information about the Surface Mini, and like even like a manual for the product was was made and everything, and I guess it was like ready to go. And Microsoft said, "No, nah, we're not going to make that," and they ended up scrapping it. So it's very possible that they dabbled with this idea of a touch cover and got through the entire process of getting it certified and all that kind of stuff, and then just decided not to do it. And some remnant of it lingers on Microsoft's website, but it was discovered this week. Um, that uh, it was on a page listing products with integrated lithium batteries on Microsoft's site, just like uh, uh, the, the necessary stuff that you have to list legally for those types of products. It was mentioned on there. Right, that that's
1: was a compliance thing. kind of thing.
0: Compliance, yeah, for a uh, touch cover design for the iPad. So, interesting.
1: It's an interesting future. I mean we, we've, had, we, we've seen for years that Apple's had collaborations and strong relationships with Microsoft, whether it was the influx of cash that Bill Gates was a part of announcing at Boston Macworld years ago, right? 1997, 1998 mm-hmm. timeframe. Uh, or the browser for Mac OS 10 initially was Internet Explorer for Mac. Right. Carried over as a carbon port from OS9, from System yep. 9. Um, whether it was it was the continued support of Office Mac, right? Mm-hmm and the apps on iOS that, that Microsoft and Apple have this sort of push pull relationship.
0: Yeah. I mean so. uh, you think about uh, when office came to the iPad um, and, you know, now you can get it on your iPhone too. Uh, that was a big change for Microsoft and a lot of the features and, and, and capabilities came to uh came to iPad before it came to Surface, so um, it's interesting that, you know, Microsoft's strategy on these things can can be very different depending on the product. In some ways, they integrate very well with Apple products, and in some ways, they don't. So, it wouldn't be a shock to see them release this keyboard for the iPad. Um, I think it would be interesting. I would rather it be a smart connector keyboard, um, just because...
1: Yes, but that's because you'd rather everything be using the smart connector.
0: I want to keep my iPad as thin as possible, so... Uh, having a, an extra bulk of a battery seems unnecessary to me.
1: A, a better question is, why has no one taken advantage of the smart connector in, in force? Why, why are there so few things out there that work with it? That's a good question.
0: The only company that is compatible at the moment is uh, uh, Logitech outside of Apple, and we don't really know why. Uh, we don't know if it's licensing or if Apple just doesn't even allow companies to license it.
1: I, I wonder if it's also... Because that connector is available on three SKUs.
0: Right. It could be limited market.
1: Hard to say. If that were the connector that were available on every iPhone, for example.
0: It'd be a different story.
1: Yes. It'd be a lot more uptake for it, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah. We we talk about, anecdotally, Apple being a very big company and being a very profitable company and having a large amount of cash on hand. Um, We talked about this the other week when we were talking about where it fell on Fortune's profitability and revenue listings, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have the third quarter sales call report. Mm-hmm. Apple declared that they sold 4.29 million Macintoshes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's up from last year. Yeah. It's not up a lot, but it's up. Right. And I want to put this in a context, right? The, the computer sales and you know unit sales, I think, are also down. Everyone else that's in the business of selling personal computers has been making less money for them and selling fewer units. Would you agree? Correct. And so, for Apple to hold even or increase is is important to note because it's in that context of everyone else falling away, and they're retaining that share.
0: Yeah, Apple has outpaced the market even in even in quarters where they've. Uh Seen a year over year decline. Their year over year decline was less than the larger market, I think, in every quarter except for one within like the last decade. It's been going on for a long time. Um, So, you know, this trend continues. Um, Apple has a segment of the market that it continues to grow, um, whereas the rest of the market uh, on the low end is being besieged by phones and cheap tablets and Apple's iPad.
1: Yeah. And historically, the third quarter is kind of a down quarter anyway. The fourth quarter is the quarter that a lot of sales happen, yes?
0: Yeah, this quarter was a little different this year because we saw um, some new products come in June at WWDC. um, And then we also had the low-end iPad refresh in March. So this was the first full quarter of sales of that. So if there was any big surprise this quarter, it was the iPad Um, sales were 11.4 million in the quarter. Uh, And this is the first time in four years that iPad sales grew year over year Um, after getting off to a really hot start. Uh, back in 2010 and, and growing for three years, they've been on the decline, a slow decline ever since. And general the consensus on that is that uh, people just, they like their iPads, they just use them for a long time. And so a lot well, of people that own an iPad 2 or an iPad Air 1 didn't feel really compelled to upgrade to some of the ones that have come out in recent years, um, and it's believed that the... Uh, Low-end $330 iPad uh, is really what made the unit sales go up this time. But interestingly, the average selling price is about the same. So that means that the high-end iPad Pros are also selling.
1: Okay. I I agree with this narrative. I think that this is the first time that we've had a compelling iPad that is at a lower price than they traditionally have been. Right. Much lower. Right for the for the entry model at any rate, right. and and also for the more expensive storage models. So you have something that's much more affordable and is a very capable iPad. Very. So between that and your choices are very simply: would you like the iPad or would you like the iPad Pro?
0: And the and price difference between them is huge.
1: The so it's not and the price difference is huge. So it's an easy choice to make.
0: Yeah, if you go to the store and you see your options. You know, you're not going to be hemming and hawing about which one should I get. I think that you either know whether you want the Pro or not. And I think for the vast majority of people, the entry-level one is more than enough. And if you really wanted a keyboard, you could get a Bluetooth one.
1: Yeah, if you want the Pro, you want the Pro because you want the Pencil. Right. That's that's why you're buying the Pro is because you want to use the Pencil.
0: I mean, there are other reasons to buy the Pro, but for the most part, yeah, I agree.
1: That That's one of the things that helps you differentiate them. Correct.
0: And larger screens
1: and larger screens.
0: But you know, it, it, you look at that and it's the same thing that Apple's been doing in other product lineups as well. Uh, the iPhone has the SE and the 7 and the 7 Plus. Um, and then we're gonna get even more layers uh, this fall. Uh, the iPad, it's very clearly, you know, m- lined up between the entry level model and, and the Pro model. And the entry-level model, we talked about this a few times in the past few months, Apple is getting more affordable than ever while they're also getting more expensive than ever. And it's a good thing because they're addressing two very different segments of the market. If you want an iPad, it's cheaper than ever to get one right now. It's affordable, you can get one, and it's a really great product. And if you want a really capable iPad, you can get one, but it's more expensive than it's ever been. Um, so I, I think that that's good for everybody, honestly. I think that the iPhone SE um, and the iPhone 7 Plus uh, playing to different two different ends of the market are absolutely fantastic ideas. And I think that it ensures that anybody that wants to get in uh, can do so. And it gives Apple the ability to kind of trickle down technology with newer devices. And then eventually it'll make its way elsewhere, as they've done for years across product platforms.
1: I keep going back to the product matrix. Mm-hmm. You remember way back at the dawn of time, there was a simple four-quadrant – repetitive – uh, matrix, right? Mm-hmm. And it consisted of a PowerBook, a PowerMac, an iBook, and an iMac. Right? right. And within those, you had different levels, different equipment, right? You could buy the iMac or the iMac DV, for example. Or you could get the uh, two different variations of the iBook. One had a FireWire port. Right. Right? Or you could get uh, a couple different flavors of PowerMac within each one of those. So, So you had the four main Product segments, and then within those, you or categories within those, you had three more options, right? And since that time to now, the past let's say seventeen years, we've seen the product and matrix, the the offering uh, of these different categories, explode with different types of machines, and then with additional options among those machines, right? Right. To the point where people say it's no longer simple. It's overly complex to try and choose among them. And I think that's partly what happened with with iPad sales, is that not only were there a bunch of devices that were perfectly suitable for, the, for a three-year period, right? But that there was also, you were spoiled for choice. You had way too much to choose from. And when you have too many options, you get paralyzed. I think that's a
0: bad thing that came out of the iPod era for Apple, Uh, you know, the iPad was obviously a runaway success and they made multiple versions of it and continued to sell them for years. And, and they all served very different purposes and yet, uh, sometimes stepped on each other's toes as well. Uh, You know, the iPod classic stayed around for a while, but as the iPod touch went up in capacity, it became less and less relevant. Uh, the clip on iPod nano, uh, competed directly with the iPod shuffle, um, you know, I, I think that um, maybe I think you're right, but Apple's made a concerted effort in the last few years to really simplify the product lineups, and I think that the iPhone and iPad are great examples of that, and, and the newer products too, like the Apple Watch, um, are pretty good examples of that. Um, especially with the Series Two Apple Watch, you know, you can get the S One uh, that doesn't have GPS and doesn't have the true waterproofing, and get the S Two that has it, or you can get a stainless steel or you can get the the ceramic. And it's pretty clear, you know, the prices are, are very different. The features are clearly laid out. Um, you know, aside from choosing between an S1 and an S2 uh, on the Apple Watch, I think that, you know, it's pretty clear what what model that you're going to be able to afford or what you're going to want to get. Um, and I think that that is maybe maybe the launch of the Apple Watch helped encourage Apple to, to simplify its product lineups, as you've seen. Um, the MacBook still needs some work just because the legacy, um, 13 inch MacBook pro remains part of the lineup, but, uh, you've seen that effort on the iPad and and the iPhone. And I I think that they've done a pretty good job.
1: Yeah. The, the 13 inch and the MacBook air as well, both exist for a price point. Basically,
0: Basically, the, the MacBook air is so they can hit that under a thousand dollars mark. Um, and the 12 inch MacBook just isn't there yet. Um, and then MacBook Pro is even more confusing because you can get the 13-inch legacy, um, you can get the 13-inch with USB-C without touch bar, or you can get it with touch bar and then you go up to the 15-inch, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the Mac lineup is going to take some time just because new technology was introduced and Apple can't get the price downs, price points down uh, while maintaining their margins. Um, but you're seeing, especially inspired by what they did in the iPhone for years in just keeping legacy models around um, and just dropping the price on them, uh, that makes it a very easy way of just kind of keeping the routine, you know, pushing it down the lineup. I still think that the iPhone could use some work just because the iPhone 6S is the mid-tier phone and it has the same processor as the iPhone SE, um, and then it was even worse a year ago when the iPhone six was the mid tier phone and it had a slower processor than the iPhone SE. Um, but you know, hopefully, we'll see what the what the picture is going to be this fall and into next year, uh, assuming they update the iPhone SE, what they're going to do there. But I think that the lineup right now with the iPad is very clearly laid out. You have an entry level model. Um, with a fast processor. But if you want more horsepower, pencil, and keyboard capabilities, you gotta go with the Pro. And by making the 10.5 inch model uh, slightly larger than the 9.7 inch, uh, they add more value to it and just make it even clearer in the in the differentiation. And I think that you saw the market respond to it in a number of ways. I think that not only the entry level model and the price point helping to drive sales, but uh, the Pro uh, being second second generation now um, and people gravitating toward that because a lot of the story's been around that entry level model and right rightfully so. But when the average selling price of the iPad didn't budge, um, that says that a lot of people are buying pros too.
1: Definitely. You know, it's it's one of these things that are going to have to clean up with the lineup eventually, because it's just paralyzing to, to be able to try and buy, what are you going to buy for your kid for school, right? You know, are you going to buy your kid an iPad or an iPad Pro, or are you going to buy your kid a... 12-inch Mac or a 13-inch, and which 13-inch? There's just a lot of choices there that make it very difficult to choose.
0: And, and Apple hasn't been content to just let the low-end models languish either. The iPhone SE earlier this year had its storage doubled. Uh, last year, when the Apple Watch Series 2 launched, the um, the Series 1 uh, uh, model was given a faster processor because the first gen was just too slow at that point, even though it came with a lower price. So, um, they're not afraid to to add more value as they lower the prices as well. I think that it's just a little bit more complex with the MacBook, and it's going to take a few years. I mean, your logical progression there is to get rid of the MacBook Air and replace it with a 12-inch MacBook, but they need to be able to get that down to an under $1,000 price point. And at that price, then they won't have the touch Touch bar. Are they going to bring the touch bar to the 12-inch MacBook? You know, Do they eventually phase out the non-touch bar MacBook Pro? Uh, you know, there's a lot of tough decisions for them to make there, and it'll be interesting to see how they do that in the next few years.
1: 1.2 billion cumulative iPhones sold.
0: There were 40.8 million sold. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It was uh, – no, last quarter was 41 million iPhones sold in the quarter, um, which was ahead of market expectations. Um, and the iPhone continues to perform very well. I think that there were lowered expectations because the hype for the iPhone 8 is so great, and Tim Cook even said in the last earnings call uh, for the March quarter that they were seeing uh, uh, sales being uh, suppressed a little more, that this go-around just because of so much hype for the iPhone 8. But uh, clearly the iPhone uh, 7 and, and uh, 7 Plus are still performing well, um, and Apple is still selling a boatload of iPhones.
1: The average selling price is up year-on-year. Year. Mm-hmm. Because the 7 Plus is selling.
0: Yep. The 7 Plus has a $20 premium over previous Plus phones because of the dual camera. And that also serves as an upsell, which, again, goes back to us talking about Apple more clearly defining the different devices in their price point. Um, the 7 Plus has more of a reason to exist other than a larger screen, and that is driving more people to buy the more expensive model.
1: So is there anything to be disappointed in here at all?
0: Not really. Um, I mean, I think all around really good quarter and you're seeing Apple's stock respond accordingly. Uh, you know, the the, the Mac sales um, were, were strong. Uh, it will be interesting to see what they do going into back to school and, uh, uh, and all that. But you got to remember that the iMac, the MacBook Pro, the MacBook Air and the 12-inch MacBook were all updated at WWDC. So... You know, that's one of those things where perhaps it could have performed a little better than it did, but it's still not a disappointing uh, number. I mean, Mac sales were up over year over year. They were up sequ- sequentially. Um, I think that, you know, Apple would, is between a rock and a hard place when it comes to Intel chips. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people that think that they should have a 32 gig RAM option for the 15 inch MacBook Pro. Um, there are, you know, rumors about some big changes coming to the MacBook Pro maybe next year. Um, I think the more interesting thing there now is to see whether or not they can squeeze in another MacBook or any sort of Mac update this fall or whether the Mac lineup is going to stay the way that it is until 2018. But uh, all around, a very strong quarter. iPhone outperformed. iPad way outperformed expectations. The Mac's doing well. Uh, the Apple watch, uh, they said sales were 50% last quarter year over year. Um, so they still haven't given exact numbers of course on the Apple watch, but it would seem that the watch is doing pretty well. And and I continue to see anecdotally a lot of watches out in the wild. So I think that the Apple watch is starting to catch on in a pretty meaningful way. There have been some market estimates that are putting it like, you know, sales at like two, two two and a half to three million sales a quarter. Um, the latest estimate that we had uh, this week uh, put it at 2.8 million watch units last quarter. Um, I think that's pretty good um, considering it's an iPhone only accessory. Uh, I, I think that I think that, that is something to be pleased with. Overall, the financials are very good and, and the market responded accordingly. But one of the things that it's important to point out is that um, the, the guidance for the next quarter, the September quarter, is also very strong. Um, and that is another reason why investors are buying in big for Apple right now um, after the earnings, because uh, the expectation has been that the iPhone might be delayed, iPhone eight specifically. Um, and by delayed, I mean later than usual. You can't de- delay a product that's never been announced with with a date. We're,
1: we're the, and, and we're not talking about a significant delay. We're talking about you know some ba- Bank of America was saying September, or was that J P Morgan Chase? Well,
0: September would be some the normal. other people
1: have been saying November or October, right? Right. November so, or October is not a huge delay, is it?
0: It's not, but uh, people are impatient and and customers are impatient and, and investors are impatient as well. So uh, there's a few things to, to consider here. First of all, Apple usually launches its iPhones toward the end of the September quarter. So they get a weekend of new iPhone sales in, which are somewhere around 12 million to start for the launch weekend is where we're at now. Uh, If they didn't hit it in the September quarter, then... Analysts have to adjust accordingly and push those units back to the December quarter. Then there's a fear that maybe they can't produce enough in time because of a shortened window before Christmas, so the sales might be hurt. Uh, these are the concerns that analysts have. I'm not saying that they're founded. Uh, a lot of the analyst's reaction has been that they're going to sell the iPhones where they sell them this year or next year. People are going to want them, and I tend to agree with that. But um, the way that the guidance came out for Apple for next quarter, gross margins down slightly, uh, revenue coming in higher than people expected. Um, the expectation is that they're going to be able to launch the iPhone 7S uh, at the very least at the end of next quarter and potentially some limited iPhone 8 sales or maybe early October. But the way that um, the market is reading into the numbers that Apple put out, uh, it's looked like they're, it looks like they are at the very least going to start ramping up production for the iPhone 8 in the next quarter in September, uh, which would indicate that we probably don't have to wait until November for the phone, I would say. Maybe a limited late September or early October launch, um, and then the question becomes how many can they manufacture, with the expectation that the iPhone 8 might be a premium pro model with a high price um, and keeping uh, you know limited inventory because they can't produce enough because of new technology in it. Uh, that's where it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because it this is, let's, let's not mistake it, let's not mince words here, this is a gamble for Apple if this is what they're actually going to do because you run the risk of people looking at the iPhone 7S and saying, that phone isn't that exciting, I want that iPhone Pro that costs $1,200. And some of them might even say, I, I'm willing to pay the $1,200 for the iPhone Pro. However, there are none in the store, so I'm going to wait. And if this ends up being an AirPods type of situation where here we are 10 months later and you still can't get them in the store, what does that do for Apple's bottom line?
1: Absolutely. You you lost your AirPods, didn't you?
0: I didn't lose mine. Aha. Um, uh-huh. Well, I'll, I'll put this out there as a PSA for people. Um The Find My AirPods feature that's built into Find My iPhone, it's pretty worthless. Um, It's a nice gimmick. Um, I think it was something done by Apple to address concerns of people that said, what if I lose one of my AirPods? Uh, How will I find it? Um, Having said that, uh, don't depend on it to actually find anything. Uh, My wife doesn't know where she lost her AirPods. Um, She was taking a train and then took a lift and she has contacted everybody. Uh, to see if they fell out of her bag in the assorted vehicles that she took, and it has not shown up. We attempted to locate the last known location with Find My AirPods, but uh, it was actually showing um, a, a couple days before was the last time it was connected, even though that wasn't true, because she knew that she had used it that day. So the way that it works, because obviously the AirPods don't have built-in GPS or data, so it's not like you could find or them. Or Wi-Fi for that matter. Or, or, or Wi Fi. Basically, what will happen is when they're connected to your phone, it will occasionally ping with the location of your phone to let you know the last place that it was connected to help you find them. Um, and this is not something that I can ding Apple for because I don't know what else they could really do. It's a nice feature to have, and, and I'm glad that it's there. But uh, yeah, in the case
1: of. Update it more aggressively, that's what they could do.
0: They could, yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that um, it's, it's not particularly helpful um m- through my own stupidity i lost my power beats three uh i don't even know how i did that i think i think i may have uh, uh left them in the in my pocket for the laundry or something and i have no idea where they are i'm able to find them so it's been a costly uh week for <laughs> for me <laughs> with lost headphones i'm like oh yeah but yeah so ps8 everybody if you don't rely too much on the find my airpods like they have a feature that's nice that's um uh, it'll play a noise through the earpiece to help you find them like a, like a high pitched noise. But the problem is if your AirPods are in the case that they come in, then that covers up the sound. So you can barely hear them. It's muffled. Now, if you just lose a straggle one, like in the seat cushion or something or in your couch or whatever, uh, then that might help there. But, uh, it, it it's a nice feature to have, and I'm glad that they offer it, but don't expect it to save your bacon.
1: It is a problem keeping up with these things. I, I think technically they could update find my iPhone in and the uh, you know Apple services and cloud every time that you connect them to a phone or a device. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't help you if you connected them at your office and then they were lost in the cab on the way home.
0: And, yeah, you know? and they weren't connected then, yeah. So there's I don't know what the good solution would be there. Um you know, maybe a future AirPods update could include a tiny embedded speaker in the, in the charging case so that that could broadcast noise if you're missing it or something. But other than that, it's, it's just one of those things where be more careful with your stuff at the end of the day, there's no one to blame, but us for lost, having lost the headphones. So
1: everything needs to have a virtual SIM in it. Right. And can then go ahead and use LTE or, or, you know, internet of lost um, things. Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's where we're heading. <laughs> But talking about data and connectivity, you know, in, in weeks past, we've reviewed a bunch of different Wi-Fi systems, right? right. You know, we reviewed the uh, the Eero Wi-Fi, we had the Google Wi-Fi in for review, we've had the Ubiquiti Amplify system in for review, and uh, we just took receipt of the new Eero version 2, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all trying to solve this interesting problem, Um Eero is, is a single-router Wi-Fi model. You know, that's, that's not great, let's stretch to the rim. Eero is a distributed system, right? Instead of buying single routers that are just one router you put in your home, if you've got places that are bad coverage in your house, buying a distributed system can help you overcome that. So, Eero has the power to seamlessly blanket your home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi, and you can use Ethernet, wireless, or any combination. Uh, You set the the main unit on a flat surface, you plug it into a wall outlet, and it expands coverage in any room. And they've got tri-band. So tri-band is, in in the past, we've had 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz radios in Wi-Fi systems, right? Tri-band is the addition of a third 5 gigahertz radio. What this does is that it increases the reliability and coverage. That, that you can say you've got 5 gigahertz for your gaming systems and your media players, 5 gigahertz for your client computers, and then 2.4 for legacy devices. Um, it Pretty much the, the second generation Eero is tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. So you can do more in, in every room in the house. What's really interesting for me here is that the second generation Eero added a thread radio you remember a year ago we were talking about Google Thread? Yep. So there's Google Thread, which is sort of... It's it's a new protocol that Google came up with that they want to use to replace Zigbee and Z-Wave, particularly Zigbee. And so Eero can connect to low-power devices like locks, doorbells, and sensors, and participate in a, in a sort of home network based around Google Thread that... You know, it fits in with your light bulbs, fits in with your your uh, thermostat, smoke alarms, the whole thing. And so your Wi-Fi can be a part of that. It's, it's an interesting concept, and this is one of the first thread devices that I've seen that's going to get out there in a widespread way that isn't one of those door lock kind of things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whichever model you choose, Eero's incredible customer support means you can get on a call and you can get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert within about 30 seconds. The Eero beacon, which is, so it used to be that Eero's devices were all the same. You'd open the box and you'd see three units that looked the same and you just pick one and say, that's the master unit, right? Now they have one unit that looks identical to the first version outwardly, but the two beacons, the the accessory units are much smaller. They're half the size, but they're way more powerful than the original units. And I've been doing some experimentation here and they, they increase coverage. And the app is incredibly simple to set up. And it's, it's not hard to customize either, which is one of these things. Because there's always this challenge, especially within networking, of being able to customize and keeping it easy. And Eero really have, have done the best balance of that that I've seen so far. Um, it, it really is good. So for free overnight shipping, you can visit Eero.com. And select overnight shipping as the option, and enter Crunchy at checkout. That's e e r o dot com with offer code Crunchy at the checkout. Neil, I'm excited about the HomePod speaker. Are you? I am. You sound you're not. You sound like you're not so excited. I'm excited yeah. about it. I I kind of want one. Yeah, I
0: want one. I, I, I'm I already have AirPlay all over my apartment, so I'm more interested in it as a always on Siri uh, listening device. Um, for HomeKit controls and such, Um, and then AirPlay 2 integration, which I'm hoping that the Airport Expresses get updated to so I don't have to go out and buy new stuff to do uh, AirPlay 2 with my existing speakers.
1: Yeah, I'm hopeful for that also. Um, And that would be an update that we had, you know, one of the first updates in a long while to the Airport Expresses.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've had some... um, you know firmware updates that just like patch stuff or whatever but presumably they'd be able to do this through software um, Apple has said that it will be up to developers but obviously when uh, it comes to the airport Express that's going to be up to Apple itself but yeah I, I'm, they're, I'm they're excited strong. for Siri controls two speakers and integrating uh, airplay 2 as part of homekit um, and so I think that it's more I'm I'm excited about the home pod but I'm more excited about all the ecosystem changes coming with it and iOS 11
1: yes. You know, I've been experimenting recently. They updated uh, Amazon Alexa <coughs> to allow you to use an Alexa speaker to control right. media. Right? They've always had the voice remote on the second generation Fire TV Stick and the the all of the Fire TVs, which is similar in some ways to the voice button on uh, on the Apple TV remote, in that you can you can call up programs, you can call up series, and you can tell it to start playing. You can do things like. Uh, say, Siri, I didn't catch that, and it will rewind 10 seconds and turn on the subtitles. That's what Apple TV does. Uh, Fire TV lacks some of that. The Google Home speaker has always been able to control Chromecast devices to kick off programs. Alexa now is able to start media and control the, the TV in a rudimentary way. And for TVs that have Alexa built into it, that are you know, basically TVs with, with Fire TV built into it, you'll be able to control those via your voice speaker as well. And that works with third-party speakers. I proved that this week where I took a, uh, a Jam voice speaker, which is you know a Homedics or HMDX product that works with Alexa, and I was able to control the TV, which was nice. I'm hopeful that Siri on the HomePod will make that kind of thing even easier. You know, you're talking about controlling in the house. And currently, I bet, if I remember right, you've got a Logitech Harmony home hub um, combined with HomeBridge running on a Raspberry mm-hmm. Pi to be able to control right. your media center. And I I want that always-on experience of just being able to say, you know, uh, hey, Siri, kick off Stranger Things on right. Netflix and have it start.
0: Yeah, I think that... Um It's not going to be there when it launches, but if you look at the hardware capabilities of the HomePod, um, through some digging of the firmware that was released, um, developers found that it's going to have a a full gigabyte of RAM. So uh, you don't give it a full gigabyte of RAM for a speaker with a tiny display uh, without the intention of opening it up to third parties and uh, potentially a HomePod app store or something. So uh, I would imagine that that's going to be a 2018 thing. Um, but again, a lot of horsepower in there. Um, and that will not only allow Apple to keep the product on the market without any updates for a few years, but also expandability.
1: Well, similar to the watch, right? When you bought an Apple watch, you didn't want it to be obsolete the first year out. And by buying, you know, the same thing is true of the Apple TV. We bought these Apple TV fourth gens and we don't want them to be obsolete the first year. Maybe second year is possible. Right? And then the same is true of a HomePod. If you're spending $349 on the speaker, you don't want to have to replace it.
0: And I think that the the Apple Watch was a different situation, too, because of the size of it and the fact that it's relying on battery power and whatever. Uh, They had to cut some corners. They certainly could have put in more more processing power, but uh, needed to be concerned about battery life. With the... HomePod, they don't have those same concerns. It's going to be plugged into the wall. It's got plenty of space to work with. They don't have to worry about cooling it or battery life or anything like that. So they might as well put in something that goes above and beyond uh, what it needs to do. And, and even if it starts, which I think it will, uh, running third-party apps, to integrate with Siri at some point, um, it's still going to have plenty of overhead to handle that kind of stuff.
1: First first of all, the developer in question that we learned all this stuff from is Stephen Trout Smith, yes? yes? And, uh, Stephen's been poking at this stuff off and mm-hmm. on for years. And, uh, he, he, does have some apps that are on the app store that are not related to poking at these things, right? He had lights off, which was a game. Um, he's the person behind one of the two people behind the grace app and grace is a, uh, uh an assistive device for people who are nonverbal to be able to speak by arranging icons mm-hmm. and sentences, um, using something called PEX, picture exchange. So you can, uh, you can arrange pictures to, into sentences to communicate kind of thing. Of course, he's always interested in doing this stuff as a sort of side habit, side gig. He discovered a bunch of stuff about the rumored iPhone 8. You know, there's a, uh, the idea of being tapped awake. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked before about how there's gonna be sensors in the middle of the top of the screen as opposed to this, this completely bezel device. And so the status bar is split on either side of them, and he found some confirmation of the bezel-less design of the iPhone, facial recognition. He even found the resolution of the display and icons for the forthcoming device. For those keeping score at home, it's going to be a 2,436 by 1125 display. It's going
0: to be higher resolution and smaller than the 5.5-inch iPhone 7 Plus, which means higher pixel density which potentially means better use for uh, virtual
1: reality applications as well. It's it's really going to be interesting. Um, it's going to have a, what, a 5.15-inch display? So, yeah, this is where it gets a little confusing
0: because the display is supposed to be 5.15 inches, but the total display area is supposed to be closer to 5.8 inches. And where you're getting that extra 0.6 inches or so uh, is supposed to be a... Uh, for lack of a better term, touch bar area. Uh, Basically, the lower tenth of the screen uh, will be where the home button used to reside, and that will have some sort of a virtual home button um, and potentially maybe menu options to the left or right of the home button or something like that. Um, But the belief is that the bottom portion of the screen uh, will not necessarily be available to developers to fill up or not necessarily encouraged to um, which will then allow that to serve as some sort of a system function area for uh, one of the concepts that's being put out there is instead of having the back button in the top left corner when using apps or uh, the, the, the system-wide back button uh, where the carrier name goes, uh, putting it in the lower left corner so you don't have to stretch your thumb up there to get it anymore uh, because it'll take up this lower part of the screen, which will be reserved for menu-type stuff. Um, what will be interesting to me to see is how these two supposedly separate displays on there uh, are blurred. Like, for example, um, if I'm watching a video, is it going to be relegated to the 5.15 inch area or is it going to be able to bleed over and take up the entire screen? I would think that given that Apple gives developers the ability to get rid of the uh, the menu slash whatever bar at the top, whatever it's called, um, on the iPhone, um, I would imagine that certain apps... and Status bar, thank status you. Status bar, um, yeah. I would imagine that certain apps in certain situations would be given the right to take up the entire screen. So if you're watching a video, you get that much more uh, space out of it. But... We don't really know that yet. We, we do know that the screen size that was uh, discovered in the firmware by uh, Stephen uh, matches exactly with what everybody's favorite analyst, Ming-Chi Kuo, said earlier this year. Uh, the numbers are identical. And he was the one that said that there was going to be the additional area of the, uh, the function row slash touch bar, whatever you want to call it. So... Um, I, th- I think that everything that we saw in that respect from the supply chain back in February is going to prove accurate as, as has been seen through these leaks. Uh, the design has proven accurate. Um, th- there's a icon uh, giving a kind of overview of what the iPhone 8 displays still look like that was found in the HomePod firmware. And as expected, it's going to have a little uh, indentation, chin, whatever you want to call it, forehead, um uh up at the top of the screen that will um cut in and allow the earpiece and forward-facing cameras and infrared sensor that sort of stuff to be there and then the yeah, the brown brow. and uh then to the left and right of it um it will uh, extend up slightly and then that will have enough depth for the uh what did you call it the the what bar the status bar. Thank status you. bar. Uh, so imagine with an OLED screen, um, you still have your carrier uh, to the left of the status bar and Wi-Fi and all that, um, and then on the right side you have Bluetooth and what have you, um, and then in the center of it would be the earpiece and and camera and all that. But you wouldn't be able to tell which part was screen and which part was just the, the surface of the phone, because not only is the OLED display it fused to the glass, so it looks like it's right on the surface, but it's also, because it's OLED, the blacks are true black, so they'll match the perimeter of the phone. So we talked about this a few weeks ago where we were asking... You know, if they made a white iPhone 8, would they have a white or any other color for, for that matter? Would they have a white front to the screen like they've had on phones to date? And this is why I don't think that they'll do it because it'll actually blend in with the UI, right? Because you'll have these black borders and perimeters there that are not meant to look like they're part of the screen. They're just meant to be uh, part of the phone, essentially. And they're oh. kind of blurring the lines.
1: Now, now, first of all, hold on. First of all. Apple allows developers to change the background of the status bar right. and invert the colors, right? You you can have – when on a white screen application, you can have a status bar that has a white background and black uh, black writing, black text, black indicators. On the um, – whereas on a normal screen or a black screen, you, you get white indicators or a colored background. So it's entirely possible that they could either – either remove that functionality and just have that portion of the status bar always be black with right. white text, white, white uh, indication, or they could have the firmware recognize the device that it's installed on and always have the appropriate colored background for the status bar to match the colored brow where the sensors are. Yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see
0: what approach they take.
1: And they already do this to some extent, right? If you, when you turn on a white-faced iPhone, you get a white screen with a black right. Apple symbol. And if you turn on a black-faced iPhone, you get a black screen with a a white Apple logo. So they already recognize the different hardware and are able to do that to match the screen.
0: Right. So, you know, I, I think that... Um it does make some sense there, but um, given and, – and, and maybe that would work. Maybe, maybe the white background – maybe you're right. Maybe white background up there would work. I, I think that the reason that I'm thinking of it is, is just because um, the uh, the dark – the blacks on OLED are true blacks. So it would it would blend in with the edges of the, s- the display. So it seems to make the most sense to me. But the question is how badly do they want to hide those borders
1: yeah, and it jibes with the rumor about less color. Yeah, that, and that
0: would make sense. You know, they still need to figure out how they want to do it. Is it going to look weird to have a black front glass display with a gold uh, glass back? Uh, it may not. Uh, it may not work. Um, and and there may be some changes to the user interface and in how it works. You know, um, having the the top bar turn blue when location is being used, um, or when uh, you're tethering and something like that. Uh, maybe those. Right, the red for recording. Maybe those functions are going to change in some way uh, because of the design of the phone. Uh, something specific to that model.
1: We still don't know what's going to become of Touch ID.
0: We don't. We don't even know what's going to become of the the time being displayed at the uh, at the top of the screen.
1: Developer Guillaume Rambo found strings related to the detection of facial expression. So features like smiles, frowns, uh, puckers, and dimples are there. Um.
0: Well, I think this was interesting. A lot of people missed the point this kind is- of on that, um, the smart cam feature, yeah. um, and they just read it as, oh, you know, this is like HDR and it knows to turn on or off based on the lighting or something like that. If you look at what Apple's already done with machine learning in, in iOS for years now, and we've talked about this and, and we've written articles about it. This is one of the lesser known features of the Photos app in uh, iOS that you can search for virtually anything. You can search for dogs. You can search for chairs. You can search for beaches, mountains. Um, you can search for snow, um, whatever, the ocean, um, and it will find it. You can search for cucumbers or uh, avocados, stuff like that. Um, And because of Apple's machine learning algorithms and and object detection and and that sort of stuff, it finds this stuff like instantly in your phone. It's pretty crazy. And so it seems like what they're going to be doing here is taking that knowledge that they have with object recognition and applying it in real time to when you're shooting a photo on the camera itself. And so imagine that, You know, it knows that you're taking an up close photo of a person, so it automatically goes into portrait mode, for example, and and gets you that shot. Or um, it knows that it's a shot of, uh, you know, a a concert, and so it's going to up the brightness greatly because it's dark in there, or lower shutter speed, or whatever. There are all kinds of things that it could do on the fly because it knows where you are and what you're doing.
1: All right. let's let's for our listeners because some of our readers had questions about this um, we need to explain why a homepod firmware has details about iOS devices that are not released yet so we need to explain for our listeners how a unreleased firmware For a device that's going to be released about the same time as we expect the phone to be released, has details about this unreleased phone product.
0: Well, the underlying code is the same. And so um, iOS, when it first came out, it was the iPhone operating system. Apple boasted that it was based on the same underlying code as as, Mac OS at the time, OS X. Um, and as iOS has grown over the years, it's kind of become its own thing. Uh, it has the same basic underlying code base, but it's really its own thing. And so now as Apple builds new platforms, it's building them off iOS. So TV OS is based on it. Watch OS is based on it. And now whatever they want to call the HomePod OS is based on it. Um, and because it's running an A8 chip, um, it shares a lot of code with iOS. And so... This is the same reason you know you'll see different firmwares if you were to download the IPSW files for an iPhone or an iPad or whatever, they have different tweaks for the different hardware, different capabilities, and whatever. But there's always been evidence of features for other devices or even other platforms in iOS because it's the same basic code base, which is why. Um, in years past, we found evidence of new features in forthcoming iPhones in firmware releases for current iPhones. So like before 3D Touch came to the iPhone, we saw references to it in iOS releases for devices that were not capable of 3D Touch. And so you're seeing the same thing this year, but um, I guess they just didn't carefully enough remove the things that need to be removed from the home pod firmware. And so there's a ton of evidence in there regarding what's going to be in this fall's iPhone eight, um, references to things like the cameras, facial recognition, uh, the interface charging, you name it. Yeah.
1: And the other question is where did this firmware come from? Where, where is this home pod firmware that was, um, you know, it, it seems to me that it escaped out of Cupertino.
0: How did it get it in? Somehow, that? ended up on their server where they host firmware files for developers, and someone found it hanging around on the server, and it was there for like a whole weekend. Anybody could download it and take a look, and so these developers downloaded it and just started poking through there and just started finding these things. And presumably, it was mistakenly uploaded because the first of all, you can't get your hands on a HomePod, so I don't know why they need to get the 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 software out there for it anyhow for developers but also these same things are not included in the iphone or ipad ios 11 firmware that's out there um those software updates just don't don't have this information so they're more more carefully cleaned uh, before they before they're shared
1: or that the uh, the ios 11 build that will come around the time of that phone will be a point release update for all that's what it
0: supposedly is yeah it's like an 11.0.2 or something there's
1: there's a lot of information here uh what else did we discover from this thing
0: well um we talked about the smart camera that's one that i'm pretty excited about um some of the other ones here were uh, let me look through the the facial recognition um to unlock the phone um is also going to be used for apple pay lending credence to the suggestion that perhaps the there will not be touch id on this phone um either on the back or embedded in the display um so you'll need to look at your phone to unlock it and and as we've talked about before that raises a lot of questions about user interface and how well it will work and how secure it is some of the rumors out there are that it might be more secure than touch id because it'll use more points of recognition than you would have on a fingerprint Um, and also more convenient because you would not have to press a certain place on the phone. You could just look at the phone, et cetera. Um, As I've said before, I also see that creating some usage problems in terms of uh, Apple pay and your phone, not being within range of the camera um, and also uh, potential security issues where somebody could just physically pick up your phone and hold it up to your face and then unlock it. Whereas, Uh, You know, otherwise it might be a little more difficult for them to get your fingerprint on there. Um, But uh, I don't know how those issues will be addressed. And I can't really dismiss or uh, complain about them until the device is announced. They're just, you have to think of them as interesting questions that I have as we await the iPhone 8 announcement.
1: Yeah. So I want to take a step back and talk about the iPhone 7 Plus. You, you've talked before about mm-hmm. Vic Kondotra, and when you were talking about him last, you were talking about him in reference to an Apple Watch band that he was right. working on. And in a Facebook post on Sunday, uh, Vic talked about photos that he'd taken, and people commented on the fact that he was using an iPhone. And he responded, and I'm just going to read his response. He said, here's the problem. It's Android. Android is an open-source, mostly operating system that has to be neutral to all parties, and this sounds really good until you get into the details. Ever wonder why a Samsung phone has a confused and bewildering array of photo options? Should I use the Samsung camera or the Android camera, Samsung gallery, or Google Photos? It's because when Samsung innovates with the underlying hardware, like putting in a better camera, they have to convince Google to allow that innovation to be serviced to other applications via the appropriate API. That can take years. Also, the greatest innovation isn't happening at the hardware level. It's happening at the computational photography level. Google was crushing this five years ago. They had Auto Awesome that used AI techniques to automatically remove wrinkles, whiten teeth, ad vignetting. But recently, Google has fallen back. Apple doesn't have those constraints. They innovate in the underlying hardware and just simply update the software through the latest innovations, like Portrait Mode, and ship it. Bottom line, if you truly care about great photography, you own an iPhone. If you don't mind being a few years behind, buy an Android. A lot of people responded negatively to Vic because they they held up how great the pixel camera is. They held up the DxOMark ratings of Android phones. But the point is that Vic Dotra is talking about the entire experience from hardware, lenses, all the way to the software not not just the quality of the camera or the quality of the photo in daylight whatever this, you know which, whichever the things that DXOMark is scoring on and DXOMark when they score they have a range of different things and then they come together to average to get to a point score so it could be that the iPhone excels at many of the things, but the Pixel gets just a few right, and they waited for those few for the Android phones to uh, to succeed at the DXO Mark, to, to outpace the iPhone of DXO Mark. Gondotra, before he was doing his own product, his own company, he was the senior vice president of social networking services at Google. That is basically behind Google Plus. And Google Plus photos did things like understand what was going on on your calendar and things you'd invited other people to so that you could have photo albums created automatically for you out of social events, right? They understood that you had a birthday party on your calendar, that it was taking place at a location, and when everyone else that had been invited to the event showed up at the location and was taking pictures, all of those photos would work together. And then Google would be able to create the kinds of... uh, group albums that said, remember what was going on a year ago, here's the party with all the photos from everyone else too, which still hasn't been replicated anywhere else Mm -hmm. to my knowledge. But that was something that was easily five years ago. And it's hard to think about what Google has done since other than try and put stabilization into the pixel, which is computational photography. But what else are they doing? You know, I I know people that argue for taking Android completely private source to, to make it not open source. And I think those people miss the, the point that it's never going to quite happen. The other thing that people talk about is Google's work on a replacement operating system called Fuchsia. And that's something that mm. we, we've slowly seen develop. Uh, one of these things is going to happen. Google's either going to replace Android with Fuchsia or Android is going to have to change in order for them to keep There, there up are
0: always going to be, especially when you're dealing with Android or, or even Windows there are always going to be devices out there that do certain things better. Um, it's hard to find a device that does everything better. It, you know, you, you may have a higher quality camera, a higher quality lens, or, or what have you. Um, you may be able to download better apps to control your camera, uh, even on the iPhone. Uh, you know, people have the, you know, people like to use Camera Plus and some of the other options out there. But really, when you get down to it, when you just set up a phone and start using the camera app, you're going to be hard pressed to find a better experience than on the iPhone. And that's what Gundotra is talking about, especially now with portrait mode, which he was especially in praise of just how easy it was for him to get these DSLR mimicking shots of his family in a very high quality cinematic look. Um, And it was just so easy for him that he just doesn't want to mess around with any Android phones. And, and I understand that I feel the same way.
1: Those are the stories we All have right, this week. Is there anything it. else you wish we'd covered? And listener, if there's anything you wish we'd covered that we didn't mention, please go ahead and reach out and contact us. We'll spend some time on it. I, I guess for the third week in a row, I have to mention that I wish we'd talked a little bit about CarPlay. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to put that off one more time. And and not because I, I want to keep teasing it out like that, but because... I'm getting ready to install a wireless CarPlay head unit into my car and we're going to have a full review of it and we'll be able to talk knowledgeably about what we're doing with wireless CarPlay and how that fits into changing the automotive landscape. We'll hear all about that and more next time on the Apple Insider Podcast. We will see you all next week. Thank you so much for joining